Amen. Well, praise God. I'm telling you, man, God is in charge. Listen to me. Don't let the news tell you who's in charge. God's in charge. Right? God's in charge, man. God's in charge of our lives. And he's going to take us from now to the end, and it's going to be good. Amen? So look at somebody tonight and say, you know, it's going to be good. Praise God. You know, if you're in battles, the one good thing about battles is, is you know, if you're, if you're believing in the Lord, well, then miracles are coming. And we get to see how God moves. If everything was perfect, we'd never get to see God move. But praise the Lord. I don't know about you. Sometimes I get a little tired. I just say, well, Lord, you know, just, just, I just want everything to be perfect. I want to walk in Candyland. But I like to see miracles too. You know, the other night I was talking to some people and, and they were asking me some questions about, you know, like church getting started and this and that and the other. And I, I began to just tell them things. And as I was telling them about, you know, even the fact of Living Waters starting and, me, and getting saved and Laura and I getting married and things like that. And it's just like, it almost sounds like a fairy tale. It sounds like one of the books that I read when I first got saved about some other you know, George Mueller or something like this, some great minister that I looked up to. And, and then I got to think, my goodness, how many miracles we have seen in life. Amen. So many things God has done for us. You can't forget that church. Don't let the devil get you beat back into a place to where you can't remember the miracles that he's already done for you. Amen. This morning, my chapter I was reading was Isaiah 37. And I knew it was this morning. And, and so when I was going to bed last night, I just couldn't wait to get up this morning to read it. Because, you know, that's a story where, where, the, where the king of Assyria comes against Hezekiah. And then, you know, 100, 185,000 Assyrians are killed by an angel, you know. And I'm like, man, I just couldn't wait. I said, man, tomorrow's rebuke day. Man, we're going to get up. I'm going to read that chapter and be rebuking the devil, man. I'm just going to be believing God for angels flying around everywhere. So praise God. I mean, you know, I, I, I can't say that everything in life went perfect today, but I know one thing, man, something got stomped on. Because we were dropping some bombs this morning and letting the rebuke things, bombs loose. Amen? Amen. Well, praise God. Well, I'm glad y'all are here tonight. Uh, Dr. Brown's gonna be, give us one more round. Uh, so I pray, get your, your notebooks out, get, get ready. Um, these messages have been great. I, I was giving him a hard time right before church. Last week's message, great message. I told him and I meant it. It was the greatest. It was the best. Uh, I don't want to say explanation because it was more than that. The best revelation on John 16, 33 and James 1 preached that I believe I'd ever heard. The best take that, uh, of it. And then Thursday, I'm telling you what, my wife is rubbing my shoulders, telling me, Robert, you're resisting. You are resisting. You've got to change. Don't do this. It's suffering's coming. I said, I know it. Suffering's coming, but I don't know what to do. So praise God. I hope he's going to give us something tonight to get me delivered from that. It took me a whole day to get over it. So praise the Lord. Come on up, Dr. Brown. Praise God. Okay, praise the Lord. Don't you just hate it when it says loading? <laughs> All right, well tonight uh, what I want to talk about is mindfulness and self-compassion. But before we get into that topic, 
I really would want to review some fundamental truths that we've gone over over the past several weeks because these truths are, um, uh, they, they become the bedrock of our understanding and we need to hold them foremost in our heart. And the, the one I want to start off with, actually, Pastor Robert just alluded to, is the fact that our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit within us and therefore we should glorify God in our bodies. That's 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. The next truth that we went over, I think, the last two weeks, actually, is the fact that God's plan for us is our welfare. Truth. God's plan for us is our welfare, Jeremiah 29, 11. And then he also says that he is going to make us holy and whole in our spirit, soul, and body. That's 1 Thessalonians 5.23. So his plan for us is our welfare, and we are entirely holy in Christ Jesus, and he makes us whole, entire, not missing anything in our spirit, soul, and body. On the other hand, Satan's plan for us is our disintegration by stealing, killing, and destroying, and that is John 10.10. So although Satan's goal is to tear us down, God always, always, always builds us up. Amen? So uh, one of the verses that I've been meditating on lately as a very prophetic verse, not only for the time of Israel, but even for our time right now, in this day that we live in, and that's Jeremiah 33, verse 7. And in the uh, King James, it says, And I will cause the captivity of Judah and the captivity of Israel to return and will build them as at the first. So Israel, Judah, Jerusalem as a nation had disintegrated, had gone into exile, and God says, I'm bringing the captives back. I'm bringing your captivity back, and I will build you as at the first. Amen? He builds. And, it, and their evidence is with us today. Israel is a nation. Jerusalem is the capital of that nation. He has kept His word. He has built again, as at the first. And then the other verse is 1 Peter 2.5. So we look at an Old Testament verse of God building, and now we look at the New Covenant, the New Testament verse, 1 Peter 2.5. You also, as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So we are being built up as living stones, as a temple, as His spiritual house, and He continues to do that in us. He is at work in us to will and to do His good pleasure. Amen? Okay, so those are fundamental truths that we need to know that God is for our welfare, that we are whole and entire in the entirety of who we are, and even though the devil wants to tear us down and, and totally disintegrate us, God is always for us to 
to uphold us with His victorious right hand and to build us up. All right. So, I want to go on. This really has a lot to do with mindfulness and and self-compassion. So, I want to talk about that. But in order to get to self-compassion, we need to start with empathy. We need to understand what empathy is and what compassion is. So empathy, a simple definition for empathy is our own ability to feel what another person is feeling without it being explicitly communicated. In other words, we can look at a person and we can know what they are feeling at that moment. And the way that that happens is that in our brain, we have what are known as mirror neurons. Mirror neurons, like the mirror that you look in and you get a reflection of who you are. So there are mirror neurons in our brain. And so when we look at somebody and say they, um, their facial expression is an expression of grief, or an expression of anger, or an expression of sadness, we feel that. Because the mirror neurons look at that and reflect that back to us, and we actually feel those feelings. That is called empathy. But, and sometimes empathy and compassion are used interchangeably, but they're not synonymous. Empathy is the ability to feel somebody else's pain, but compassion is the desire to do something about it. Compassion wants to alleviate the pain. Compassion wants to improve that person's well-being and to lift them up. That's compassion. So empathy is the feeling, and compassion takes that feeling and does something about it. Therefore, empathy should be the portal, the doorway that leads into compassion. And we see that. Jesus modeled it for us. So turn to Matthew chapter 9, and we're going to look at verse 36 to start off with. Matthew 9 and verse 36. I'm going to read this out of the uh, New Living uh, translation. And when he, Jesus, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. So when Jesus saw, the people, he was expressing empathy. He saw them. He saw their helplessness. He saw the, the, the helpless uh, signature on their faces, in their posture, the way they went around. And he knew, he felt that they were helpless. They were confused. And then he had compassion on them. 
He was going to do something to alleviate their helplessness and their confusion. If you look at the verse just prior to that, it says, Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. That is compassion in action. He's teaching the good news. He's teaching the truth that we started out with, that I am for you. I am for your welfare. I want to give you a future and a hope. Not evil, but shalom, peace, welfare, connectedness. That's what I want for you. And then he heals their sicknesses and their diseases. And he doesn't even stop there because in the verse after that one, he talks to his disciples and he says, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who's in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. That's us. And so in the same way that Jesus showered the people that he saw that were helpless and confused with his empathy and his compassion, he is passing it on to us, his disciples, and he says, I want you to walk in the same way. And I want you to pray the Lord of the harvest to send even more workers that have empathy and compassion into the harvest so that we can seek their welfare. So that's good. That's what we, we want to go toward. But what happens often, and I've been there, is what is known as empathy distress. Empathy distress. So empathy without compassion leads to empathy distress. And that is an increasing experience of another's pain, and it builds up in us, and it leads to negative consequences such as emotional exhaustion, or maybe even becoming emotionally numb, uh, withdrawal from any situation because of that distress that we're feeling because of the pain, and even burnout, where we become totally useless, and all we want to do is just go into a vegetative state, so to speak. And we see that all the time because we have the news all around us, and we see all the distress in the world, and we watch the news, and we, we are empathetic with it, and, and, and we and we strive with it, and we contain it inside of ourselves, but it doesn't go anywhere. It isn't expressed out in, in, a, in a compassionate way, and so we end up having that empathy distress in us. So neurological studies have been done on this using functional magnetic resonance imaging, or fMRI, and it shows that if you... Uh, are empathetic and, and, and expressing empathy for somebody else, that that actually, in the brain, activates pain circuits. So the pain part of the brain is all lit up, and it's, and it's sending out those signals, and we actually experience the pain. 
However, on the other hand, compassion activates the joy circuits of the brain. And it leads to feelings of love and connection. So empathy lights up the pain circuits, compassion lights up the joy circuits, and it leads to love and connection. So, if we do not set our intention to practice compassion, then we're going to get stuck in empathy distress. So this brings us to that mindfulness I talked about. Remember the three things about mindfulness. You set your intention, you bring your attention to the present moment, and you come with the attitude of kindness and curiosity. So for any situation, in this moment right now, so we set our intention We're going to empathize almost naturally because of the mirror neurons in our brain, but then we have to set our intention to practice compassion, just like Jesus did. 1 Peter 3.8 in the New King James Version says, Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another, Love as brothers, be tender-hearted, be courteous. So there it is. It's a command, actually, that we should be practicing compassion. And out of that compassion, actually working physiologically, neurologically in our brain, comes love and connection. So it's always drawing us to one another. So now let's talk about self-compassion. So I've talked about empathy, and I've talked about compassion for others. But now what we want to talk about is having compassion for ourselves. So if you recall from last week, I gave you an equation, and that was that suffering is equal to pain times resistance. And we talked about mindful acceptance. So if we accept the circumstances we're in, and we begin to approach them with kindness and curiosity, and, have an, and we're in the moment, and we understand, and we see clearly what is going on, then we can actually reduce that resistance to zero. Zero times your pain equals zero suffering. But the pain is still there, right? So now what we do is we add self-compassion. Self-compassion in our pain. And it's interesting, they've, the scientific studies have been done on this as well, that how you treat yourself is how you treat others. So if you do not have compassion on yourself, you won't have compassion for others. So we need to understand and know and practice self-compassion. So no matter what causes our pain and our suffering, 
Self-compassion offers care to ourselves. Just like we would care for a friend that's going through a really difficult time. This past weekend, I went, uh, Jeannie and I went to Fort Worth to uh, participate in the celebration of life for my sister's husband, who passed away. And, and then we got to go over to my sister's house with all the rest of the family and, and, and to just wrap her in our arms and, and be compassionate in that moment. And that very act of compassion for my sister and expressing that love and that connection is the very same thing that we need to have for ourselves in our own painful situations. We don't have to be perfect in order to be self-compassionate. Remember um, Romans 5.8, God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So we didn't have to clean up our act to come to Christ. In that very mess that we were in, Christ loved us. The Father loved us and sent His Son to die for us. And so we are imperfect. So there's no way that we can be perfect. So out of our imperfection, we now practice self-compassion. And then what happens is that self-compassion promotes all of those qualities we talked about in well-being. So self-compassion... And it almost sounds paradoxical, but practicing self-compassion leads to grit. Self-compassion leads to resilience. Self-compassion actually leads to personal growth. Unfortunately, many of us, me included, with my discount tire story, Many of us respond to our situations not with self-compassion, but oftentimes we respond with shame and guilt and criticism. Or, on the other hand, we may respond by trying to prop up our self-esteem. So let me talk a little bit about shame. If we respond with shame, this again activates that part of our brain known as the amygdala. We went over that in a previous uh, session. And it throws us into the fight, flight, or freeze mechanism. And it prevents us from thinking flexibly. It prevents us from learning. It prevents our ability to learn. So if you recall my story about the discount tire episode, when I was on the road and I was getting close to discount tire and I got caught up in the traffic and I was late and I was behind a cement mixer and I was boxed in <clears throat> and I couldn't go anywhere, I had to go with the flow and it wasn't flowing. <clears throat> I began to respond 
by shaming myself and criticizing myself and saying, you should have mapped this out. You should have known where that store was. You should have left yesterday to get here on time. You should have done this. You should have done that. And I was shaming myself and heaping myself with guilt because now I probably wasn't going to get five tires for my vehicles. And, uh, and what happened to me, I can even sense it right this very minute. As I was sitting in the car, it felt like I was in a, like about a four-foot-by-four-foot four room. I couldn't think straight. All I could think of was, I am here and I am not there. And now I'm going to be late. They're not going to take care of me. And I could not think. I had, I had no ability to, to see things clearly. And I had lost the ability to learn from my situation. And not until I went time out, I am in the moment, I know where I am, I understand what's going on, and I started having self-compassion and actually saying, honey, it's going to be okay. Don't worry, don't fret, you don't have to sweat. This is not the end of the world. You're going, you only have two miles to go to get to discount tire. And started having self-compassion, and all of a sudden, I went, boom, it was like the sun came out. The whole place got larger, and I'm going to talk to you a little bit about the people around me and it, when we end tonight, but I started to see that they were in the same predicament I was in, and it changed my entire perspective. So self-compassion, what was going on there, this is really cool. So whereas shame turns on the amygdala and that fight, flight, or freeze, self-compassion actually releases a hormone called oxytocin. And oxytocin gives us a sense of safety, um, connectedness. And it also releases, and you've probably heard of this one, endorphins. Endorphins are endogenous opiates in our body, and they make us feel good. They, gave, they give us a sense of well-being. And that's what happens when you have compassion on yourself. You release oxytocin, you release endorphins, and you have this sense of well-being, this sense of connectedness, and a sense of safety. So self-compassion deactivates that fight-flight-freeze, and it activates self-care. So that's shame. Let's talk about self-esteem and why that doesn't work. You know, there, there was, um, and it may still be going on for all I know, but there was a big movement in schools uh, to build up the self-esteem of the students, make them feel good about themselves. Well, the problem with self-esteem in, in this situation, so we're, we're having pain, and now we're going to try to build up our self-esteem. Self-esteem actually denies that anything is wrong. 
and that all one has to do is to get over it, buck it up, press on. You're better than that. Self-esteem, however, depends on success in order to prop up one's self-worth. So you can see the problem here is you may have a success and you may feel really good and feel self-worthy about it and your esteem may be up here on the 20th floor, but when failure strikes again because you didn't learn from the last lesson, you didn't practice self-compassion, and you're propping up your self-esteem, failure happens, and your self-worth goes from the 20th floor to the cellar. And it disconnects you from other people. Why? Because self-esteem says, I am better than you. And self-esteem has to put down other people in order to build yourself up. And um, uh, I'm going to mention her in a minute, but uh, Dr. Kristen Neff uh, is a uh, preeminent researcher in self-compassion at UT Austin, actually. And um, <clears throat> she uh, was giving a talk, and she actually said that there is a rise in our country of narcissism. And the reason why that is, she thinks, is because of the effort to build self-esteem into the children in elementary school ages, and, they, and that is to the detriment of anybody else. And so they become narcissistic in their outlook. Self-compassion says that one is worthy no matter what happens. So whereas self-esteem takes you on this roller coaster, success, failure, success, failure, and your, your self-worth rides the wave like this, self-compassion is constant, just like this. It keeps your worth constant. So self-compassion will enable us to set our compass. You know, we, we now have a true north with self-compassion because now we're looking at ourselves and understanding ourselves and giving ourselves room to grow. And so now it, it leads to constructive growth as opposed to destructive self-blame. When we practice compassion for other people, we open up the ability to have compassion on ourselves. And when we receive compassion from other people, then we are more uh, likely to have compassion on ourselves. So Dr. Kristen Neff, uh, she says, I love this quote, you don't have to be special to have self-compassion. You just have to be a mess like every other human being. Mm-hmm. So here's how I want to end tonight. Is you, can't, um, you can't be listening to the truth and then turn around and not do anything about it. So I'm going to give you a little practice exercise to take home with you to practice 
self-compassion. So write these things down. First thing you need to do is to bring a um, current problem to mind, a current situation. And you'll know, uh, I'm going to take liberty to tell a little story on my wife that she told me just before we came tonight. And uh, she was uh, going to um, practice some mindfulness uh, that, that comes out of a book by Shauna Shapiro about rewiring your mind. And, uh, and, it's, and it said, you know, think about one of these certain situations. And she said, I couldn't think of anything. And then she said, I was on the floor, and I was doing my exercises, and all of a sudden, doink, here's a situation, and she was able to go ahead and do it. So you may, you may have trouble just willing a situation, but don't, don't just give up, because it's there, I promise you, and, and let, uh, let the Holy Spirit reveal something that He wants to take care of in your life, a real-world scenario, and let that, that problem come to mind. And it may be, you know, a wounded relationship. That's very, very common. Uh, an issue with a boss. That's probably fairly common, too. Or, <clears throat> not looking at anybody, yo-yo dieting. Where you get, you get, you know, real good, you've lost some weight, and then you go back over there and something hits, and that quart of ice cream looks pretty good, and you go after the quart of ice cream, and then you feel guilty about it all, and you start shaming yourself. There's a good situation right there to practice self-compassion. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. You're in that scenario, you're by yourself, and we're going to enter into mindfulness. So step one is mindful, being in the moment. Don't think about what's going on in the past. Don't think about what's going on in the future. But be right here with this breath in this moment so that you can think clearly and see clearly and bring your awareness to your emotions. What am I feeling in this situation? Am I angry? Am I sad? Am I at a total loss? I don't know where I am. I'm just floating. What, is, what are my emotions right now? What am I feeling? And write that down. Write down any bodily changes you are aware of. Is my heart rate increased? Is it pounding in my chest? Am I a little bit short of breath? Am I getting a headache? Do I have abdominal pain? Am I sweating? What's going on in your body? Write that down. And then note whether in this situation you have done any self-judgment, any criticism. Are you blaming yourself for what's happened? Are you doing what I did and calling myself brown? Why did you do this? Instead of honey. So write down everything that you've discerned while you're in this period of mindfulness. And then begin to practice kindness and compassion. 
write down how you can express that to yourself. For instance, you might say, well, everyone makes mistakes. No one's perfect. So I'm going to learn from this. I'm going to see clearly and look at how I can prevent myself from doing this again. Or I'm actually feeling lonely and I overeat to make myself feel good. But I'm going to care for myself. I make a decision in my compassion for me to begin to take care of myself. Fundamental truth, we are to glorify God in our bodies. We're stewards of our bodies. So we take care of ourselves. We don't blame it. We don't blame ourselves. We don't criticize and put ourselves down. But we look for opportunity to grow. And then the third thing is to understand, like I did on the road to Discount Tire, that we have a shared humanity. Our experiences are not unique. They're shared with everybody else. And so 1 Corinthians 10.13 gets at that when it says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. We are all in the same kiddie pool. So as you practice compassion for others, now you can move into that position where you practice compassion for yourself. So remember this, God is building you up, truth, and He will heal you, and He will reveal to you an abundance of peace and truth. That is Jeremiah 33, 6. That's a promise. I love that verse because he says, I will heal you, I will cure you. And there's three different Hebrew words for cure and heal used in that passage. Arukah is a long bandage that is used to wrap up a wound so that it's able to heal. Marpe is the actual medicine, the medicine that is given to effect a cure. And Rafa is the actual healing that happens. Though God says He will do all three for us. Aruka, Marpe, Rafa. And when He does, He will reveal to us an abundance of peace, shalom, and truth. Amen? So, I urge you, if you've been beating yourself up for years, now's the time to practice mindfulness and to practice self-compassion. And don't forget, Jesus went about teaching the gospel, healing all kinds of illnesses and disease because He had empathy and He had compassion. And we can practice compassion for others, and we can practice compassion for ourselves. Amen? Okay. So that brings tonight to a close, and I'll turn it back over to Pastor Robert.
Praise God. Thank you, Dr. Brown. You know, as he was sharing, the, the, the scripture came to me or the thought came to me about, you know, when I read the, when I read the Gospels and, and I, I see Jesus tell Peter, you know, he, he, first Peter says, you know, I'm, I'm ready to go with you even until death. And then Jesus turns to him and says, you know, man, pour the rooster crows tonight. You're going to deny me three times. And, and how he was so offended. And then he goes through all of that and he denies him. And I, 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 I couldn't remember exactly which gospel it is at the end of it. It's either got to be Matthew or John, I believe. could be Luke. Where Jesus says to uh, Mary and them, and go and tell, and make sure and tell Peter to come. And I always have thought that always stood out to me that, that Jesus, when he came through the resurrection, he wanted, to, he wanted to see Peter after he had denied him three times. And, you know, you got to imagine, you know, denying Christ like that, that, that's a biggie, right? That's worse than eating a pint of ice cream, right? And if Jesus was willing to forgive you, he said a quart. I hadn't tried that, but, you know. Uh, but if Jesus is willing to forgive Peter, just imagine what he thinks about us when we make mistakes, right? And so you got to remember that, that compassion that Christ has on us, man. He loved us when we were sinners. And so, man, excellent message, excellent word. And so what I want to do is just, just stand up and let's practice this a little bit before we close the service tonight. And I, I want you just to take a moment here and I'm going to pray over you, but I want you to take this moment and I want you to be willing to forgive yourself and to ask the Lord to have compassion on you so that you can have compassion on yourself. So, Lord, I just, I just come to you and I just thank you, Lord, that, Jesus, you're so compassionate and you love us so. And I just declare right now that any strongholds that are in people's minds and things that have happened to them and events in life that have happened to them and have bound them in uh, condemning themselves and, and having no self-compassion, I just declare right now in the name of Jesus, by the anointing and the power of God, that it's broken. That, Lord, they're free tonight to receive this message, to receive this in their hearts, and, Lord, to walk in self-compassion so that we can be free. Lord, we can be free to be who you created us to be because we're going to make mistakes. We're going to do things wrong. We're going to say the wrong things. We're going to thank the wrong things. But Lord, I just praise you for that. That tonight, the enemy is rebuked. He's been found out. That we're condemning when we should be having compassion. And so this night, they are free. Lord, to receive your mercy, to receive your grace, and to walk in your forgiveness. So Lord, we thank you that you forgive us. And so Lord, we forgive ourselves. For our own ignorance, our own mistakes, and the, just the crazy things we've done. And I ask you to bless them tonight. Lord, let this message sink down into them, but let this be a special night. Bless them. All those watching, bless them, Lord God, wherever they are. Have your hand upon us. And Lord, I just declare from this moment forward, we're going to be able to rejoice. We're going to be able to walk in victory. That we're not burning out, Lord, I declare that we're burning brighter for you. And Lord, I thank you for it.
I ask you to bless their finances, bless all of the, their businesses, bless their, their offerings, their tithes, their giving. Lord, and I just thank you that it, it, you just continue to do miracles in our midst. And Lord, we praise you for it right now in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. God bless you, church.